my second book is called Stop Sabotaging Your Weight Loss because I work with women over 40 and no word of a lie, they're all brilliant. They have so much knowledge. They have read everything, they've studied, they've Googled. Um, it's not a knowledge problem. Whenever I run live events or seminars and I say, hey, what are the top five things you think you could do to lose weight? I mean, the women come at me rapid fire with what they know they could be doing. They don't do it. So what is it about the knowing and the gap between knowing and doing that stops us? And that's what the second book is about. All of the insidious ways, consciously or unconsciously, that we sabotage our successes and our goals and don't get traction. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Jennifer Powder, and she's the best-selling author of two books in the weight loss space and the founder of the Weight Loss Academy. As well as holding a master's degree in science, Jennifer is a clinical exercise physiologist, a double certified health and life coach, and an emotional intelligence practitioner. She has also been able to lose and keep off more than 35 pounds over the last decade. Jen, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk with you about specifically the mindset of weight loss and all of this emotional stuff that typically comes up when women are really trying to lose weight. Oh, Morgan, I'm, I can't wait for this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. Thanks. Well, give us some of your background. First of all, where you're from, um, how you really found yourself in this online weight loss space. Yeah. Never in a million years would, if, what could I have ever guessed that this would be the trajectory of my career? Um, but to like so many people who want to help others, it was rooted in my own struggle and it's pretty humbling to share it. Cause I'm, I do think sometimes people look at experts and they think, Oh, that must be so easy. Or they've never had a hard moment. They never, they must not like chocolate or wine. And I do, I like both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 11, you know, 12, 11 years ago, I liked both a lot. And um, I'd been active. I'd been a multi-marathoner, Ironman athlete, triath- you know, and uh, I found myself after having kids um, sitting in a body that carried 35, 40 plus extra pounds. And I was beside myself because I had a master's degree in this. Like I knew the important, I knew the things I had the knowledge. This is a really important piece. I had the knowledge and yet I stayed stuck and frustrated and I kept trying to like wonder why I just couldn't lose the weight and what I did not understand then. And I did all the things Morgan, like I, I tried to exercise like crazy. I signed up for another Ironman and all I did was drive my postpartum body into the ground. It was awful. And uh, that was when I knew it was not just about the food. There was something deeper going on for me. And unless I figured that out, I would be trapped. And we were just saying before we hit record, I can't imagine if I didn't make that change because I would now be 46. 
I would have not lost the weight. I would have continued with all of the behaviors and coping mechanisms that I had back then that involved food and booze. And I'd probably be another 50 pounds heavier than that, or who knows? And the impact that that would have had on my health, my quality of my life, what I did or didn't do with my kids. Um, So I'm super grateful for the change that I created and what I learned through the process. And then that's what, that's what motivated me to, to bring it to other women and then really bring it to a greater community of women every year we grow and grow. Yeah. And you do have two books. And so you kind of said the first book was the foundational knowledge. And I wanted to talk about your second book. Uh, cause this yeah. part fascinates me. This is what I call the intangible part of weight loss. Yeah. Um, and so we tell us a little bit about the first book and then kind of dive into why you decided to write a second book and what it's all about. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so diet disruption was the book that the first book, which I, after working with so many women and hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories about yo-yo dieting on off wagon, um, that they, that there was somehow there was this belief that there was a solution outside of them in a product, a plan, a program, or a person that would create the change and how seductive and sexy the marketing of the dieting industry is like that it's such a recession proof industry. And it preys on the insecurities and vulnerabilities of women when they're at their worst. And I remember exactly what that felt like. I knew better, but I found myself believing the marketing messages in spite of the knowledge that I had. Okay. Cause when you're desperate, you want to do anything and you want to do anything quickly as possible to get the weight off. Right. Like, and so I wrote a book, um, basically disrupting that whole mentality that it's that we have to be able to understand some of the basics, some of the very, but go back to the basics with weight loss and that it doesn't need to be as complicated as people have made it out to be. So that's sort of the very practical, grounded, non-dieting approach to losing weight. Now, not dieting does not mean getting to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, um, with unlimited portions. And a lot of times I think people have gotten so used to uh, eating junk food or low quality food and that they label health food or anything healthy for them as diet food. And we have to break that, um, that belief system. But here's what I found. My second book is called Stop Sabotaging Your Weight Loss because I work with women over 40 and no word of a lie, they're all brilliant. They have so much knowledge. They have read everything. They've studied. They've Googled. Um, It's not a knowledge problem. Whenever I run live events or seminars and I say, hey, what are the top five things you think you could do to lose weight? I mean, the women come at me rapid fire with what they know they could be doing they don't do it. So what is it about the knowing and the gap between knowing and doing that stops us? And that's what the second book is about. All of the insidious ways, consciously or unconsciously, that we sabotage our successes and our goals and don't get traction. Mm -hmm. And will you talk a little bit more about the subconscious and the conscious brain and maybe what role you think each of those can play in this self-sabotage cycle. Oh, it's, it's huge. And I think that this is where the gap is, you know, the gap exists is because there's a part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that's the decision-making center of our brain and where we accumulate knowledge. And And that's the part of us that knows, but what we don't often understand. And again, you know, unless you take psych or something, you know, unless you're like really into this field, we don't know all of the things that shape us neurobiologically. 
all of the things that happened, the stories, the experiences that we had as children, the imprinting of our family of origin, so the family that you grew up in, uh, trauma, whether that's, you know, I call it big T trauma, like the big ones, whether that's physical abuse, emotional abuse, witnessing either of those sexual abuse, neglect, abandonment, um, parent incarcerated, uh, poverty, there's all of that. And then there's also just little t trauma. It's the thing and little t trauma is any event or any impact to your emotional safety, whether it was real or not. Per perception mm -hmm. is the biggest impact of um, trauma. And all of us at the end of the day, whether you've had an amazing idyllic childhood or completely not, um, will be coping with the subconscious belief system. So these are belief systems that we form early in our childhood about who we are and what we deserve. And it's a place that a lot of our self-worth gets cultivated from and how we try to uh, get love and create a, a very safe emotional playing field. Um, I'm the child of an alcoholic mother. I know very well about how much of my emotional field went to scene assessment. Is it safe? Is it not safe? Is it, how much, what's the energy here? And then really being um, able to contort myself or pre I call it pretzelizing. I would make myself into an emotional pretzel to either keep the energy safe or to not be seen. And so I didn't know any of that. You know, I didn't know any of that when I was don't eat the chocolate, don't drink the wine, Dan, you know? And uh, so we punish ourselves with behaviors instead of getting curious about what's driving those behaviors in the first place. And I hope I didn't just speak too long on that. Um, no, I don't think that you did. I think um, uh, maybe a bigger little T, I'm not sure how to classify this, but this has come up recently is um, a mother's relationship with her daughter and the emphasis of praise when they lost weight. And so I think this is kind of a recurring theme over the last couple of months in my coaching is women who have this overemphasis on their own self-worth in a certain body or at a certain weight. And so they use the scale as a form of approval, just like their mom used to give them approval growing up about, oh, you're looking so good or you're looking so thin. And, you know, that was such a recurring cycle. And then oh, I have self-worth if I'm looking good or I have self-worth if, if, if I'm thin. And it's like, wow, that is, that is sad, you know? So I'm sure that you've encountered that, that one too. Or another kind of sad one emotionally is um, one of my clients said that she thought she was having a hard time following through because subconsciously her weight was a protection. You know, she'd been really hurt um, in the past by a man. And she said, if I'm big, then I'm safe. And so how do you help women, first of all, go there? Because it's a hard, it's a hard place to go. We have a lot of tears in our sessions. I'm like, you know what, this is a safe place to let it out. Um, but how do you navigate that with people? How do you do that? And how do you encourage them to go where it hurts so that they can heal? Because um, you can't heal unless you do that. Mm -hmm. So even right there, you've mentioned something so pivotal is, uh, healing is a repetitive process. And a lot of times what I found with, we have the same, a very similar um, experience with the hard coming out, obviously in the safety of the container of safety that, that we create. And, and a lot of times I think that women will think, well, I went to counseling for that, or I've dealt with that, or that was then. And mm -hmm. you can only heal to the point that you're able to heal from which you can then survive and move on. So um, as a young child, so 
anytime you up level or anytime you go through a transformative process in your life and really transformation is just changing yourself or your belief systems from one state to another, right? So transformation is not this, oh, I've lost a hundred pounds or, oh, I'm making a million dollars. No, it's your belief system changes and we keep upgrading how we are living our life by what we choose to think. Every time you do that, you will have a new opportunity to heal at a deeper level. So healing Mm -hmm. is a repetitive process, which is why I believe weight loss is one of the most transformative journeys a woman can go on for true healing, because wherever you go, there you are. Your heart, you know, your, your thoughts, your heart, you cannot escape yourself. And so it forces a lot of, you know, a lot of times it forces a lot of awareness into those dark recesses of our mind. And one of the most powerful things I've heard is you can either live your life from the place of the wound, what happened to you. And as children, when you are a child or even, I mean, any woman, I mean, there are, there's bad stuff that happens that it does. And it's awful. And when, when you have it happen to you, you are absolutely a victim to the circumstances or to the person or to whatever. What we have to remember as, as women who, when we move through the experience and we're on the other side of it, is we now have to make a powerful decision. Are we going to act from the place of wounding and stay stuck in the wound? Or do we want to come from a place of healing? And the place of healing means no longer being that victim to what happened to you, but how you're going to choose to handle it now that that is over and you're moving forward in your life. They're very nuanced and tender distinctions. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's why midlife women, for me, middle-aged women, you know, a lot of my clients are in their fifties. They finally get some space in their life to focus back on themselves and the coping, the surviving, the getting through the, the careering, the marrying, the parenting, the marriaging, um, you know, you kind of, you, you're in the crunch years in your thirties and I'm in my forties and I can still find it, but I still have more space for me. And then we start to go, wait a minute. Like there's an, I believe there's internal wisdom that says, Hey, Hey, it's time to change. It's time to heal. And Mm -hmm. people will embark on that journey in a variety of different ways. I was telling you before we hit record that in office hours last week, one of my members, a, a big part of the coaching was just about her time. And, you know, she said, I'm not doing anything. And I said, well, you're, first of all, you're probably doing quite a bit more than you're giving yourself credit for. Like every healthy decision counts. But then secondly, you're in a pattern of giving your time away. You are in a pattern of serving your clients, of serving your children and your grandchildren and your spouse. And she's like, yeah, and I think I just need to make it through the next couple of weeks. And I said, yeah, that sounds really familiar because my mom's a lawyer and my mom's very open and has given me permission to share her story. And so she would always say, you know, Morgan, I'm going to start exercising when this case is done, or I'm going to really focus on that after I get through this mediation. And I said, mom, no, you aren't, you know, history would, would tell us otherwise. And so if you're not actively pursuing you time now, you're going to be in the pattern of giving your time away in two weeks. So I said, you know, maybe your photography business will slow down in a couple of weeks. And I'd like you to proactively prevent yourself from then automatically giving your time to your aging mother or to, um, to your children or grandchildren. And first of all, give your time to yourself, because I think a, a lot of women just don't recognize, oh my goodness, this is a habit of not putting my own needs first. 
And I think that awareness can be really powerful. Um, But then what do you do after that? Because like you said, sometimes they don't know that. And sometimes bringing it to awareness is all that's needed. But other times it's kind of changing that belief of like, you're not just your accomplishments and you're not just what you can give to other people. Like you have innate worth and innate value and you deserve to be happy and healthy. So how do we take it a step further beyond awareness to really healing? Such a powerful question. Um, One, I literally had to go through that. So for me, and again, awareness is one piece, but it's it's the implementation of a practice of something different that creates the change. So you can be self-aware as all get out. I mean, you chances are, you probably know plenty of self-aware women and they don't change. They know their patterns. They know their, where they get stuck. For me, I actually didn't know at first. I didn't realize that I chased love. Um, love was held at bay from me, from my dad, or at least I thought it was. Okay. I couldn't accept the way he wanted to love me. I wanted him to love me the way that I could experience it. And he yeah. didn't. So therefore I felt not love. So I would chase degrees and accomplishments and accolades. And the more that I could okay. do, the more I more productive, I could be the more worth I had. And it set me up for a pattern of deep exhaustion and burnout in my, for real. And I still never got the love, right? So I, I, this thing about no matter what I do, it's never enough. How many women have said that? Like, hopefully you're laughing to yourself right now. If you're like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And so you said something so important. You have innate value just from literally the fact that you're on the planet. Mm -hmm. If you don't choose to claim your space, no one's ever going to ordain you worthy enough. No one's ever going to give you your self-worth. You have to claim it, believe it, own it, and then act like it's true. And in the beginning, it's very hard. In the beginning, I believed I, my self-worth was rooted in washing the floor. I still remember wanting to go out for a walk with my children. They were little. And then this mean voice in my head came. It was a beautiful sunny day. They were waking up from a nap soon. And then I looked at the floor and this mean voice came in and it said, nope you need to wash the floor. And I remember just like, Hmm. it was like this balloon got burst and I was like, okay. And I listened to it because the mean voice is this voice that your ego's peak experience is your pain and suffering. And that mean voice in your head will do everything it can to keep you stuck in your patterns. Because even though your comfort zone is miserable, it's familiar and the brain likes familiarity. The brain does weight loss is not hard. It's the changing of the habits to create the weight loss. That's hard. Why? Because we like comfort foods, comforts of home. We want to be comfortable and change by the very essence of the word is going to make you get uncomfortable. So you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. I, you have to be willing to choose your heart, being stuck and miserable and frustrated and living your life with no energy. And that's really hard. Like that's, a, I live that life. It's very miserable. And yeah, it is hard to learn how to put yourself back on your priority list. But I literally just did a, a Facebook live on this saying, if you are not on your calendar, your calendar is a direct reflection of your priorities and where you need to be spending and giving your time. If you're not on it, then you, you're not making yourself a priority. And yep. in the beginning, one of the simple tools I give my clients is get yourself on your calendar, make time, be worthy enough to give yourself the gift of your own time. Even if it's just you write half an hour reading, 
<laughs> or, you know, like it can be as simple as that in the beginning. It does not need to be these grandiose, massive, oh, I need to take away and go on a retreat and journal every day and meditate. No, that's overwhelming. And the minute you're overwhelmed, you're, you're going to quit. Mm-hmm. Or just cause more stress. I think myself included, you know, um, I did, did this Clifton Strength Finders test. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's yeah. really interesting. And my top strength is achieving. And so I have to really watch out that I'm not um, trying to stack one achievement on top of the other. And in in reality, it's actually tacking one stress on top of the other. Um, And so, yeah, I completely agree with you that when someone's like, oh my gosh, I need to lose weight. Where should I start? I'm like your calendar because it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work. So I'm like, check your calendar and check your expectations. Can we talk about expectations? Like, Please. Okay. Go off on them. Yep. <laughs> I'm literally dealing with this with the client right now. So what she, so expectations and then physiological reality. Um, they, again, the dieting industry, it's why I saw uh, such a need to write the book is the diet industry sets you up for these crazy, unhealthy, unrealistic, unsustainable expectations. And then we, we adopt them as fact, truth. This is how it should be. The marketing sign said so 30 pounds in 30 days. So that must mean 60 pounds in two months. Right. And I lose my mind. I <laughs> like, uh, I, like, I'm a nice person, but I'm like also a strong advocate for facts and reprogramming our brain to, to have healthy expectations, because as long as those unhealthy ones are there, you know what it does? It sets you up for failure and disappointment. Mm-hmm. Every single time. So I've got a client right now who is just, I mean, she came in willing, ready with time. And she has created what I consider miraculous results in four weeks. Like she's renegotiated um, conversations with her partner to not eat in front of the television. She's prepping. She's, t- she's doing all the right things. And she's, she's lost an incredible amount of weight. It's still healthy, but it's on the upside. It's like just under 10 pounds in, in a month. And she's not that she's, and she's disappointed. And I, you know, so much, and she stays disappointed. And it's like, well, where do you want to lead yourself with disappointment and frustration because of an adoption of unfactual or unrealistic expectations? Or are you going to allow yourself to lead yourself to success with joy, with pride, with the feeling of great, I've accomplished this. And it's a real mindset thing because many women have shamed themselves, judged themselves and adopted patterns of self-criticism so that they remain unworthy. It's right. So even though the data is giving her all of the, everything she could possibly want, the mind is holding her back. And I would love to ask her, like, I just love asking, where did that belief come from? Where did that thought come from? So, oh, okay. You're disappointed in losing 10 pounds in a month. Um, that's your belief system. Where did that come from? Did that come from past diet experience? Did it come from the Jenny Craig website that says lose 17 pounds in your first month? You know, and, and I always love the saying, like, you don't have to believe every thought that floats through your head, Yeah. you know, and it's like, we get to choose our thoughts and we get to be mindful of those thoughts and we can change our thoughts. And when I hear that, I'm like, Ooh, hope she keep. I hope she keeps it off. You know, like that's, I'm with you. I'm like, that's on the upper end. Um, and I just think women have such unrealistic expectations, especially in perimenopause and, and menopause 
when perhaps they, they tried to lose weight after they had a baby. Well, you had breastfeeding and, and uh, high estrogen on your side there. Um, mm-hmm. Also a higher metabolism from youth and more muscle mass. And so they go into this new phase of weight loss, you know, like you said, when they kind of finally make the time or have the time for themselves and they have the same expectations of expedited weight loss with not so much effort as it took when they were 20 or 30. And it's like, no, you're physiologically very different than you were when you were 20 or 30. And so we need to taper your expectations accordingly. And more than that, reframe them to embrace slow weight loss, like to embrace those tiny little positive habits, like the communication with the spouse, like the prepping and like, you know, so I don't, I'm kind of curious when we're talking about like goals and systems, I always sound like, like make following whatever system you set up your goal. Don't make weight loss goals. Don't make goals that you can't control. You can control if you sit on the couch and eat with your husband or not. I like feel like we are like have the same brain here. Like I feel like we're like literally like have some symbiotic connection. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, I say it all the time: lean into the process, not the outcome. Like not the outcome. Yeah. If you are outcome focused, scale weight focused, you're chasing something outside of yourself, which means the result will not be permanent because it's the chasing of the result and what you think it's going to give you, which is fake. You can never create an outer transformation without doing your inner work. You just can't. Um, That's important. Say that again. Say that part again. You can't create an outer transformation without the inner work. You just can't. And and I think diets try to, that's the thing. Diets shortcut it. There is no shortcut. You, there isn't a shortcut. There's a process. And I say, listen, the time's going to pass anyway. So you can do Jenny Craig and lose 17 pounds and regain, regain 30 in the next month or two, or stick with me for 12 weeks or, or a year. Like I say, if you can give me a year of your life, I'll give you the rest of your life back. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause there's a commitment to the process. I work in a 12 week cycle and because it's terrifying, you know, if you've never been successful, you really don't know if you will ever be successful. And again, that's that emotional intelligence piece. We are wired to believe that our future will be a repetition of our past. And our past has been a collection of diet failures, not personal failures. The diets are designed to fail you. So you become a repeat customer. And then the self-talk just gets meaner. So at some point, I believe the pain of living that way has to become so great that you become willing to give that up and do it differently. And that's where I step in. I always joke and I say, listen, what I do, I'm like, it's not marketable. I'm like, but sexy weight or slow weight loss is sexy weight loss because it's permanent. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> you know, like not I'm a trying good slogan, to, yeah. no, I know I'm, I'm really working on it. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually really do believe it. Slow weight loss is the only way for it to be permanent because how you lose the weight matters. Mm-hmm. How do you lose it matters. We're going to talk about that, but I just wanted to maybe um, say it in a different way. What you just said, like the pain of where you are has to become stronger than your perceived pain of what it's going to take to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that women can really keep in mind is, you know, you, you, what stories are you telling yourself in your brain that it's going to take for you to lose weight? And listen to the words that you're saying. So again, in office hours, we were talking about like fruit or something. And um, a member was like, I, I was sad that I can't have my favorite fruits of like oranges and bananas and whatever. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, listen to your language. I was 
really sad that I couldn't have, I'm like, someone didn't pass away, you know, first of all. So second of all, the word can't should automatically be a trigger as a limiting belief, right? So we're going to say, how can I include fruit in my healthy diet, not have that restrictive attitude. And I think that that is so important that we really start to listen to ourselves and, and become mindful of our own triggering words or phrases that are limiting. And so I'd be kind of interested to hear before we get into like what process you, you actually use for weight loss, what are some common ones that you hear? So I can't, I don't um, get to don't yet. I'm not allowed. It's Mm -hmm. too hard. Uh, And what's interesting though, Morgan is of course they think that because every diet says that right? Every diet has been a prescription of rigidity and rules and can't have, don't get to. And so it's natural for an attitude of denial and restriction and deprivation to be created. It's not the woman's fault. It's, 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 it's past experience. Yes, exactly. If that's what they've done to lose weight in the past, then it's what they believe they're going to need to do to lose weight in the future. Keto, anybody, I, I can't live like that. You know, people keto is so, I always like, keto rebound, you know, women who do keto and they get these amazing results and then they want a piece of damn apple pie. And then they feel the guilt and the shame of having a piece of pie because now their self-worth is rooted in being perfect on a keto plan. And if they go off of it, now they've got the emotional pain of shame and disappointment and somehow they've blown it. So, I mean, that's what I really hear. I hear words like I'm on the wagon. If you're on anything, you are at risk because you can fall off of it. Yeah. And so, so what do you I, say? Like, how do you rephrase that? I hear on track, off track, on the wagon, off the wagon. Committed to a lifestyle. We talk about being committed to renegotiating our relationship with food and creating a new lifestyle. And I am, I mean, I am obsessive with, I do not let my client, I interrupt. I'm rude. Probably. I'm like, what'd you say? How can you say it? that's not what we, this isn't a program. This isn't a plan. This isn't a diet. This is a new way of living with food that you've never done before. Yeah. And so I'm pretty relentless on that one because it's breaking the, yeah, that again, that neurobio, that neural wiring, which Mm -hmm. the minute you think you can't have it, you want it. Mm -hmm. The minute that I've got so many clients who, you know, by the time you're in your forties and fifties, you've been through some hard and many of them kind of have this, like, you can't tell me what to do. Like this rebel, you know, they do, and they'll admit it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like the minute I start to like push the rules or they've learned how to cheat the system with yep. Weight Watcher yes, points, right? Yes. So they try to make things fit and allocate points and they do this well, good, bad, right? Good I'm and good bad if is I a eat big this. one. Yeah. I'm like, let's be clear here. You're a good person regardless of what you put in your mouth. Yeah. I'm like, you're good not- and bad is like for cheating on a test. They're like cheat days. I'm like, this isn't a test. This is just your life. There are no cheat days. We don't cheat with food. We choose it. So that's right. a common thing that I say as well. So I'm like death against the idea of a cheat meal, cheat days. I see that so psychologically and physiologically damaging. I know Um, I do. And it's so common. And it's like, I hear a lot too. How do you deal with this? So, you know, you follow a weight loss coach and you overhear someone, or maybe it's like a friend or family. And they're like, I really need to lose weight. I feel so fat. I really need to join your program. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to you. So I don't I give think, any advice unsolicited. Me neither. Oh my God. Me neither. I'm I don't like, know what to say to them. I don't coach friends. Like 
like I just listen and I watch and it's hard sometimes because you know that either that are they're at a place in their life where they can't they don't have the capacity to do the emotional work and so this is their journey just like it was my journey just like my clients have been on their journey um I often say feelings aren't facts feelings are not facts so you can be overweight and feel frustrated by it you can feel disappointed that maybe you're not as healthy as you want to be and then what do you want to do about it so feeling fat um it's it's such a feeling even like i mean i've said it in my own mind just to be transparent days where my cycle you know i'm getting perimenopausal there's days where i i feel a little bloated but it's not the first thing that i always think i'll be like oh i kind of feel fat today like it's just funny it can just creep in so quick And then I'm like, no, no, you know, I know my rings are tight. I'm like, oh, okay. I've got some water retention going on. Um, But that's where having such a strong science background, the data doesn't lie. Like the data tells you is what you're doing working is what you're doing not working. And we get data in our lives all the time, whether it's metric, you know, empirical, like you see a scale of weight or your clothes are fitting looser, or you're getting feedback from friends and family, or you feel better. I cannot mm-hmm. tell you the number of times my clients start to actually eat real food and they're like, Oh my God, you know, I've got so much energy. I mean, I, you know, they put down the coffee and they start to drink water. Oh my God, my headaches are gone. I just, you know, what do you think it is? And I'm like, Oh my God, like somehow I'm like, Ooh, it's my voodoo magic. You're eating, you know, you're yeah. nourishing yourself. You're taking care of yourself. It's a foreign feeling for some people, for some mm-hmm. women. I think a lot of women too, this, this one gets me too, is they're so used to a prescriptive diet and then they come to me and they're they're like, do you have a meal plan? And I'm like, no, I have guidelines. Um, And so finally I I got the question so much that I'm like, fine, I'll make a meal plan. And, but like the first page is a bunch of disclaimers on like, these are the general guidelines and recommendations. So I literally just reiterated all of the guidelines and recommendations for how to structure a healthy meal. Hey, this is what I'm doing when I'm intermittently fasting. Uh, I don't always eat low carb, you know, sometimes I go fast longer. Um, and it's like, you cannot sustainably follow someone else's meal plan. And so it's like, I get that you maybe want an example, but goodness gracious, it's so much easier to learn it and to understand how food affects your body and how food timing affects your body and how all these other lifestyle things affect your body than try to follow someone else's plan and really like go to the grocery store and cook all these fancy meals. And it's like, okay. Oh. Again, so, so, yeah. like spiritual souls, or I don't know what we are, but it's so, <laughs> I mean, I'm literally this week has been all of, I've got, you know, quite a few clients who've just come um, my first four weeks and I mean, I'm watching them battle themselves because some, you know, and again, I hear things, well, that's my personality or I'm really analytical or yes. I want to know exactly how many grams I should, and I'm like, ah, and they're, they're like frustrated. They're, they're, you, I can see their brain churning, trying to, I use the word parameters, right? So you got a parameters. Guidelines, and parameters, I, yep. Yep. And I create a nutrition success, right? This is your nutrition success template where there's basic guidelines, parameters of how to structure meals, nourish themselves, take care of themselves. And man, oh man, you know, there's a few that just really, they want, they're so used to having a prescriptive nature. And I think underneath it all, there's a fear of not being able to trust themselves or 
Um, and so it's, I just have to keep saying, trust process, trust me, trust process. You're doing it differently this time. This is a new way you're, you're getting educated about food and its impact and how emotionally you've been driven to make choices. Um, and now you're understanding it. So it's a real tender, it's a real tender process. And honestly, Morgan, I, I can tell you that when I was overweight, I mean, I Shave about Lulu. Like I had one pair of Lululemon fat pants. Like that's what I called them. They were one pair of stretchy. They were the Stills wide Capri leg pant. And I remember trying to find, like, put on my big boyfriend jeans, and I couldn't get them up. And I mean, the tears that I cried, the frustration that I went through. And now, I am so grateful for having walked that journey because I know the emotional um, maturity and resilience I needed to cultivate within myself to get to the other side. And then it was not just about the food or it was so much about that, again, internal transformation. And so I, you know, I'm empathetic to my, I watch them and I, you know, my heart feels, I know I went through it um, of just letting go of old ways of doing it. And, and old expectations, old beliefs, old diets. So yeah. I don't know. I think that this is a little bit of a sideways in the, con- you know, a veer in the conversation. Um, I think that we're coming into a new generation too of working moms and honestly working grandmothers. And mm-hmm. when I say working grandmothers, sometimes it's even watching their grandkids. Like that's, that can be a job. And I feel like my, in my grandmother's generation, a lot of women didn't work outside the home. And so we saw our mom, like our grandmothers, um, maybe our moms, depending on your age, really holding down the fort. And then we saw, you know, those expectations carried on to us and that belief that like, this is the woman's role to hold down the house. And then we were also expected to get an education and to start our career. And then we were expected to have children. And then we were expected to do it all. And I think that times have changed. And I finally told my love my grandma so much, but I finally told her, you know, I tell her all the time how much my husband helps around the house. I ask for help. I expect help. Um, And he is very generous with his time when he's a farmer. So especially anytime he can, he's really generous. And um, I think that it was regarding packing his own clothes for vacation. And I, you know, I kind of called my grandma because we go to visit her and I'm like, yeah, I packed up my stuff and the kids. And she's like, what about Justin's? And I'm like, oh, he packs his own laundry or his own clothes for vacation, Nana. Um, And she goes, wow, times have really changed. And it's like, yeah, they have. (laughs) And it's high time that women stand up for ourselves and say we need some gosh darn help. Because I'll tell you what, I couldn't be healthy if I didn't have daycare. If I was trying to like do everything that I'm doing and take care of my children, it wouldn't happen. And I think that asking for help, first of all, admitting that we're not super women um, and asking for help are two skills that we have to embrace and we have to learn. Um, I've had to learn them the dangest hard way, you know, having two kids, especially during COVID um, has been really tough. But I encourage every woman listening to this who feels burnt out of life, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to lose weight? I'm burnt out of life. I don't have anything left in me. Ask Mm -hmm. for some dang help because it's no wonder that you're burnt out. It's no wonder that you're stressed, which obviously leads to increased cortisol, insulin, and weight gain. 
Yeah. Right. So what do you do? How do you have that conversation of saying, yeah, you're going to have to say, no, you're going to have to ask for help to be able to invest that time back into yourself. As I said, big, oh, man, it's big. well, and it's, it's a conversation that really evokes a lot of emotion. I was a single mom with two young kids for, for quite a long time. And my mom was also in a place where her health was failing and I'm an only child on my, my mom's side. And so, um, and I, my, my dad, you know, wasn't in my life at that time. So it was me, I was me with my kids and, and, uh, exactly what you're, and I, you know, again, my, my mom was a single mom. She was dependent on cigarettes and alcohol. That's where she got love and her coping mechanism. So there was a lot I had to learn. And I had to do a lot at that point in my life to learn how to survive really. And then, um, it was through being around other working women where I was allowed or shown how to think new thoughts about how I was running my life. I didn't even know how to think those thoughts on my own, Morgan. And Mm I, I say that because, I think sometimes we think this should be innate or if you did not have a model, if your mom was not someone who asked for help or believed that she deserved help, Mm -hmm. then of course you're going to come from that orientation. How can you not? And so for me, I remember thinking like, because I didn't have a mom who could come in and babysit or help me. She was not well um, having to pay for babysitting while my other friends had their moms or grandmas swoop in and make them dinner and do their, and I was like so bitter and resentful. And then I was like, Jen, the voice, pay for help, get some support. And I've really adopted the golden goose philosophy. It's the same as the oxygen mask philosophy, but it's like, if I'm the golden goose, if I'm a provider for my family and I have clients and I've got children, and I've got people who depend on me. So golden goose lays the golden eggs. Everybody loves the golden eggs, right? If I get sick or die, there are no more golden eggs. So I, a lot of of it for me was learning to say no, not yet later. And what mattered most was me, which was in the beginning, I have to say, I feel, you know, I felt selfish. I felt like self-care was a luxury, not a necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally look back at that version of me and just feel so much compassion for that woman because I had to learn it and I did learn it the hard way. And I'm so glad you're bringing this question up because whatever age your listeners are, um, I have women who still don't understand they're the golden goose in their seventies. And they're still, then they're like, this is, I didn't know. I, I thought boundaries were bitchy or I hope I didn't mean to say that. Um, I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I've never had someone say that word on the show, but I kind of like it, especially from you. I don't know well, why. Yeah. It's like, it's like, no, don't like healthy boundaries are healthy. You know, like it's good to have that, but we have to be taught. So, uh, for me, I asked, I'm married again now. And what was really interesting was my husband who is a gem of a man. Um, but also he's in his fifties. He uh, had a mom who took care of her husband and her boys. Um, So there's been a lot of like, Hey, we both work like long hours, long days. Like I'm left with a lot of the emotional responsibilities here of cooking, making dinner, my kids, the blended family. Um, This isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. We need to figure this out. And I think when we come at it that way, a lot of times when we get to the breakdown phase, we get really angry and we can blast our comfort. We, you know, we come with a lot of anger yes. to the people in our life that we actually want their support from, which makes them not so willing. Yes. So I, again, had to do my own work to feel my feelings, understand what that emotional data was telling me, which is, Hey, something needs to change here. 
And then as opposed to blaming or attacking my husband and the, you know, I had to come at it with like, Hey, you know what? I'm really feeling a lot of stress, pressure, responsibility, and I'm sensing some of the inequity or inequalities in our responsibilities right now. And like, I really need your help figuring it out because it's not working. Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful to have that conversation um, where he could actually partner with me. Um, and we actually have this conversation about, you know, every six months because my life yep. changes, his life changes. It's a recalibration. And, so, constant. Yes. and I say that all the time. We've had that conversation recently too, especially going this through planting season and harvest season. And it is a constant recalibration of work and, and family commitments. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I had a member recently and she was a little bit overwhelmed. She's like, I'm going through counseling right now. I'm such a fan of counseling. And then I'm, you know, I'm also dealing with some like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and I'm not sure, you know, where to start with your program. And I'm like, okay, that's easy. You are already taking the action that you need. So going to counseling is doing quote unquote, the program, like your mental health forever and always comes before your physical health. And I get that like exercise and nourishing can be good for our mental health, but Hey, if you don't like, we've been talking about, if you don't even have, if you're not even a mental place to like make positive decisions, you're losing so much of your energy to that negativity and to that guilt, to the shame, to the self-critical talk, to bad relationships. And so she posted a win that like my win this week was communicating better with my husband. And it's like, heck yeah, because then you're not going and emotionally eating or you're not doing other maladaptive coping mechanisms. So really getting to the root cause of what is causing your emotional eating and then oh my God. dealing yes. with it. Like that's how we really, I think, lose weight and keep it off is reflecting on like, where are my hiccups? It's, it's not a prescriptive diet. Are there best practices? Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, are there things that we can do to make it easier? Yes. You know, I, here's mine. I'll just spit it out. High protein, high healthy fat, high fiber, drink tons of water. And then we can go on from there. But is that, what do you kind of generally ascribe I'm to? So different. Like the, I just, I, like, I, I, I come at it from, a, you know, that uniquely metabolic scientific perspective, which mm-hmm. is a woman who's five foot two um, and who's 70 and who's 200 pounds is going to have a very unique metabolic requirement, energy demand on her body than a woman who's 5'10", 46, and has previously been an Olympic athlete. Okay. So we have, we have unique metabolic demands and then we have unique metabolic, like emotional circumstances. So yeah, I, and what I find is women come to me very often protein deficient and fiber deficient and chronically dehydrated. So, I mean, you, you said it right there. It's like, if you got to start somewhere, somewhere, and then they come with this belief system that they're a sugar addict, carboholic, um, et cetera. I'm like, well, actually, um, that's like, it's not. No, you're, so then they try to quit the sugar, right? This, anybody, they try to stop eating that and then they feel out of control and they still suffer from it because they're actually malnourished in other yep. areas. Yeah, uh, it's like so, if you start with like the protein, the fiber, the hydration, you're going to have naturally reduced carbon sugar cravings versus oh God, just exactly. like trying to cut it out. And then that's white knuckling. That yeah, that is. That is, is like you can't do that forever. And that's why they think, oh, this isn't sustainable. I just can't help you, you know? And it's like, no, you just actually, you either don't have the right information or you're still resistant to engaging in patterns of behavior that it's going to give yourself what you need. I got to tell you, I'm not a big, huge protein fan. I'm really not like, I love, yeah, like I'm not, but I, but I know the difference of making it a focus in my life and pretending I don't need it. 
Right. It is night and day on every single level, physically, emotionally, hormonally, uh, my cravings, how I function when I'm exercising, like all of it. Um, so I, I make it a focus and I have to figure it out. Like I I don't have to, I get to, because I get to create a really good, healthy life for myself. I don't have to do it. I know exactly what it takes to do the other side, you know, the flip side of the coin, but that's miserable. So I'll put my effort into thinking ahead about, Ooh, how am I getting my protein today? So that I can feel good. I think this is really interesting too. This is the benefit of coaching is like identifying limiting beliefs but then teaching people how to deal with them. Because once you figure it out, once you figure out, oops, that's a limiting thought, that's a limiting belief, um, I'm gonna deal with that one. You're gonna notice so many other ones come up. And then learning that process of reflection or process, since you're in Canada, say process of reflection, I like that. (laughs) Um, And then changing the behavior, it's almost just like rinse and repeat. You know, pick your behavior and optimize, but you have to first learn how to get out of your own way and to stop the self-sabotage. Um, and I think it's so fun. I, we could seriously talk about talk this all day. <laughs> Can I just say one thing on this? So, yeah. it's so important to this conversation yeah. is um, we've talked a little bit about like, I think you're going to agree. You can't change anything until you're aware of it, right? Yeah. Like you can't. So awareness is the first step. And what I found in my own experience and in watching my clients is the awareness piece can be really profound because for me, I believe my identity was directly connected to the mean voice in my head. So my, mm-hmm. my, my identity was rooted in those limiting beliefs. I did not understand that they were just thoughts and that I had power over them. Like that was so massive um, and such a pivotal point in my personal growth to go, wait a minute, I'm not my thoughts. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What? Like, that's not, that's just who I am. That's just how I think. That's just what I do. No, it's not. And so I'm watching my, a few of my clients right now in that space of awareness where they're like both amazed and saddened that they didn't learn this earlier. You know, it's like that they lived decades of their life attached to an identity of limiting beliefs when there could have been so much more available to them. And I'm like, yeah, but look at what you get to do now that, you know, and Mm -hmm. so for anybody who's like, you know, how do I start to to do that. Well, you stop focusing on the scale outcome or the, you know, the doing, and you tap much more into the awareness of your being. And you're going to start to get the messages. You're going to start to hear the things that you think. And that's where you get that ability to have the power over choosing your thoughts, not letting your thoughts run you. Yep. And I think always praising ourselves is a really powerful tool as well. So when we catch ourselves thinking good things, I mean, which some women are like, oh, that never happens for me, you know, looking in the mirror, like, dang, I look good today. Um, Maybe we don't actually say that, but, um, but actually consciously praising ourselves, even if it's for, oh, good job being patient with your son. You know, that was a really loving way to respond to your daughter. Um, you know, good job showing compassion. So even if you don't love your physical body, I think there's always mental and emotional, maybe spiritual work related things and like start praising yourself, start getting in the pattern of patting yourself on the back and like being your own best friend. I think that goes a long ways because then you're starting to reinforce your brain, um, that positive, like self positivity, self praise, self grace. Oh my gosh. Like next time you make a mistake, this is a challenge to everyone. 
not a big deal. Like don't fret over it. Don't sweat over it. Don't worry what anyone else is going to say or what they're going to think, but just say, oops, yeah. you know, do a little Brittany. Oops. I did it again. Oops. I did it again. Oops, <laughs> there I go. Or they got me this time. Well, well give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. And remember that whatever you're practicing is growing. So if you're practicing self-criticism, self-judgment, mm-hmm. self-flagellation, PB and punitive, you're actually growing that skill set. And it's not a great skill set. Every time you practice self-praise, self-compassion, not the same as complacency, but empathy, um, kindness towards yourself, humor, then you're growing that. So I a lot like of times that. when I get tripped up, I'm like, I don't want to grow that. That's a weed, you know, and then I get to redirect myself to what do I want to be growing? Cause if I'm practicing this, I'm growing it. And mm-hmm. I use it a lot with my kids. I, my kids are in junior high and junior high is, but my daughter is just entering grade seven. And you know, it's different than elementary. It's a different container. There's more to deal with on every level. And so really taking these mindset principles, but distilling them down to simple little sound bites. Do you want to grow that? I you want to grow something different. And she's like, oh yeah, like, oh yeah, different. I actually did a really, you know, she'll talk about how she messed up at volleyball. I'm like, what did you do well? And she's like this. And I'm like, great, let's talk about that. You know, that's really cool. I think that that's going to be a skill that I'll develop as a parent to like distill things down. Sometimes I just talk to my three-year-old, like I'd talk to you. Like last <laughs> night he went to his first movie. We'll wrap up on this story. He went to Paw Patrol with my husband because it rained. And so they had a man, they had man time, they called it. That's he awesome. went to his first movie, got popcorn. Then they went to dinner with Uncle Nate, who's awesome. And then um, then they went to Costco. So he got home a little before nine. Bedtime is usually like seven. Wired. And he's like, Mommy, I can't sleep. I'm like, that's because you watch TV and your the blue light in the TV suppressed your melatonin. <laughs> and now you can't fall asleep because you don't have enough sleepy hormone. Can you say melatonin? You know, and so I need to figure out. <laughs> kind of like distill down these informations into sound bites, but it's kind of cute yeah. to challenge them to say these hard words still. So oh, I love it. Well, my kids, like my kids are like, mom, can I have some vegetables before I have carbohydrate? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like the uh-huh. veggie tray comes out first, but yes. I mean, to have that kind of mentorship and patience as a parent, my daughter's growing up in a completely different kind of, right. um, and my son, um, where obviously she knows what I do. I've written two books, but we're mm-hmm. very conscious about the value of health, yep. not weight. And yep. uh, I'm real careful of that. Um, yes. In our household, it's always about how, you know, how are we gonna be healthy this weekend? What are we going to do? You know, it's like just a different conversation. Right. So, yeah. um, so thank or like you. Being strong, great... or like energy, like how you're yes. phrasing that with your kids. So why are we, well, this does this have protein mommy yes that does have protein that will make you big and strong like uncle nate or like daddy and like really helping re- reinforce those healthier food choices um yeah. or why are you going for a walk because it gives me energy to play with you and leah you know just i think that's so important to really pay attention and i have one member specifically who really encourages other members like what behavior are you setting for your children or your grandchildren like by not putting your own needs first what are you telling Uh, What are you teaching your kids and your grandkids? So we'll wrap it up. Where can listeners learn more about you? Uh, So yes, my website is a great place to come. I've got lots of free resources, both my books. You can get uh, the free PDF on there if you're interested in reading more. Um, And I'm I'm on all the places, you know, Facebook and Instagram are really fun for us uh, to, for me to share my content and great 
supportive weight loss group for women over 40 on Facebook. It's called Diet Disruption. Um, and we'll where's your website? We you say up. your website? Jennifer Powder. Okay. Yeah. www.jenniferpowder.com. Okay. And that's where you're able to learn more, read more, get access to free resources that I think that if you read them and do it, you'll move further along for sure. Yes. So yep. and you have a podcast coming out. out. Uh, the podcast might be released by the time this is released. So when is that oh. podcast coming out? November 4th. And it oh, is yeah. called wait for it, weight loss simplified. Cause I just feel like it has become so confusing. And so I'm really excited to share the first season. We have it ready to go and we're just done. Um, it'll be fun to have that out before Thanksgiving and holidays and all of the triggers and things that women experience during the last or the tail end of the year. Oh yeah. That'll be, that's exciting. So weight loss simplified, be sure to look for that. Um, maybe we'll try to release this episode a little early so people can tap into that before the new year. Thank you. Yeah. What a, thank you so much for all that you do. I love, I love podcasts. I love YouTube video. I love watching the interviews and learning and talking about these things in just such a real way. Cause hopefully somebody heard something say it in a different way today between our conversation yeah. that they just needed to hear it. And that's the gift of you hosting this. So thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.